This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. If you're watching the action with the Super Bowl yesterday, couldn't help but notice the crowd shots at SoFi Stadium. Couldn't find any masks, at least you hardly couldn't. In spite of what was supposed to be some strict masking rules are the mask mandates on life support. And while the hope is that new future COVID variants will get weaker, producing milder illness, uh, what if it doesn't turn out that way? We start with a largely maskless Super Bowl. COVID numbers are down here, but could the big game be a super spreader? Dr. William Schaffner is a professor of preventative medicine and infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. He's a former epidemic intelligence officer at the CDC. So the masks, Dr., were being handed out for free at SoFi, but still barely any of them were visible during the game. (laughs) Well, guys, I was wondering that very same thing as I was watching uh, the camera scan the audience from time to time. I didn't see anyone wearing a mask. Uh, The virus was at the Super Bowl. There were people who brought the virus with them, unbeknownst, of course, and I'm sure there was some spread. I don't think it'll be a super spreading event. Today, so many people are vaccinated. And in addition, Omicron has infected so many people to give them a sense of natural protection, such that I think these large outbreaks of uh, infection are not going to occur. But there are undoubtedly some people who will go home with a viral uh, companion and get sick in a day or two. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's kind of how we've seen it as we've gone through, because it's not the Super Bowl on an island. We've been having concerts. We've been having sports games around the country. So people anecdotally will say, you know what? You know, I thought I got it. I went to the game. Um, But it's not like thousands and thousands of people are all seeing the uptick, you know, a a week after one of these events is held. I I think that that's exactly the nice way to put it uh, and, and the accurate way. There will be some spread, but not a, an enormous splurge of infection. And we're seeing this around the country. Um, in my part of the country, we're very unvaccinated, but nonetheless, cases and hospitalizations are gratifyingly trending down, not far enough. I mean, in the United States, over 2,000 people are still dying every day. If this were flu back in the old days, we would be all a flutter at a really bad flu outbreak, but we've become a little uh, uh, conditioned, uh, if you want to say it that way, to COVID and the damage that it continues to do. By the way, it's interesting you you mentioned the flu, and I was actually thinking about this the other day, and and maybe we even talked about this with you on the show, you know, a couple of months ago. There was this expectation that we might this year have a, a twin you know, uh, issue with both COVID-19, Omicron, and influenza. Have we? I haven't really heard anything about the flu. Well, flu, I was one of those who was worried about a twindemic. Uh, Flu took off in November and December, and it looked as though we were on track to have a moderately severe influenza season. And for reasons that even the fluologists don't know, come January, flu cases just drop down and they're below the epidemic threshold now. We're getting to the end of that time of the year when flu usually flourishes. 
So we think we've ducked another bullet as regards flu this year for reasons that aren't clear. Yeah, I mean, do you have a theory as to why that would be? Because, you know, the, the drop off. I mean, I guess maybe people were still masking up somewhat or yeah, but and, to have that happen the way it did. Yeah. And am I, and by the way, am I right about this? I, I don't think that this was one of those years where the flu vaccine was a particularly good match, was it? It, it was off target somewhat. It was OK, but not great. Uh, my best theory is, frankly, that enough school children were still wearing masks. You see, school kids are the great distributors of the influenza virus in our, uh, in our society. They make more influenza virus and shed more for a longer period of time. They spread it amongst themselves and then they bring it home. But I think even though they were back at school, there's enough social distancing and mask wearing so it really dampened the spread of flu. That's my current theory, anyway. You know, there there is some um, news coming out here from California, from our uh, capital. Uh, there was some question about whether or not the the state would uh, back off of the mandate that teachers and children in classrooms continue to wear masks. Come the fifteenth uh, tomorrow, in fact, of February, and it appears as if the state of California is not going to do that. Uh, good idea. Uh, I actually think it's better to wear the mask a month longer than to take the mask off a month too soon. Uh, we're concerned in infectious diseases and public health. We'd like to see a really sustained drop in cases and hospitalizations. And by sustained, I mean eight to 12 weeks before we move into uh, a more open and, uh, and carefree environment. Dr. William Shafter there, professor, preventative medicine, infectious diseases at Vanderbilt. And uh, to follow up on, on the point you just made, they've set a date for deciding. At least. <laughs> so it's decide. a couple more weeks. They say February 28th. That's when they'll announce uh, whether it's going to be safe, when they think it's going to be safe. Right. So pushing it a couple weeks with masks and then, you know, they could always say next month or right. three weeks from now or whatever. But a decision coming later this month. One hope to get us out of the pandemic is that the variants will continue to get weaker to the point where catching COVID would be like, you know, catching a cold. But some scientists in the UK, they are warning that new variants that could emerge might be worse, causing more serious illness and deaths. Essentially, the researchers are saying not so fast on um, some thoughts that the variants will go easier on us as we go along and that accurate predictions on what comes next, well, they're really hard to make. With us is Dr. David Agus, founding director of USC's Ellison Institute for Transformative Medicine. So viruses mutate. That's what they do. You know, is it safe to say that new coronavirus variants are are a given and it's just the severity of the new ones that's unknown oh there'll be more variants now we're seeing them the question is will they take hold um will they actually you know, increase in number are they going to have a growth advantage to enable them to push out the variants we have now and the answer is yes and our hope and prayers are that they won't be aggressive, that they won't make us as sick. Very much like Omicron did make us as sick at Delta, we hope the same continues to happen, but it doesn't have to. I was going to say, I mean, there is this misconception, and I think it is a misconception, right, that that as viruses mutate, they will mutate toward a more 
benign form, but there are plenty of examples, are there not, where that hasn't been the case at all? Well, you know, we call it an optimization parameter in engineering. What the viruses are doing is they're getting more infectious. Every single one, by definition, will be more infectious than the last. It's by chance whether they're going to make us sicker or not. It really is luck of the draw. It has nothing to do with necessarily their evolution because we're selecting out for the ones that get into us and take advantage of our system more than others. Because remember, viruses aren't alive. They need to use the machinery of our cells to divide. And if it can get in quicker and binds better, one virus will be better than another variant. Right. So it wants better transmission. The severity is what we have to work out once we find that something is circulating. What do we need to do and be better at as we move forward? Obviously, a lot of this comes down to, to monitoring and, and knowing about things as early as possible. Right. So we're, we're part of a system called GPAS, GPAS, which is the global surveillance system for these viruses, where people around the globe are uploading the RNA sequences of COVID-19 now, and then we analyze it, and we say, hey, this may have a growth advantage, let's pay attention. If you start to see a bunch of different sequences pop up that are similar but different than the other ones, then we start to take concern, and we look at its behavior. And if the behavior shows it's spreading really quickly and people are getting sick, then we can call that a variant of concern. But the key now is we're on top of it. We never had surveillance before, now we do. And we do have the ability of uh, you know, making people change behavior if we need to, wearing masks, et cetera. We can look and see, do the vaccines work against these new variants? And we're not. We're pretty lucky to date against all of the current variants, the vaccines have prevented serious illness. That's a pretty lucky and astounding observation. Okay, so, but if we want to kind of try to take luck off the table a bit, uh, the uh, antivirals that hopefully will soon be in, in greater supply than they currently are, uh, do they play increasingly uh, an increasingly important role in the future as variants inevitably come into being? Oh, yeah. I mean, so if they hold true, because they seem to work against all of the variants to date, is that there's not a selective pressure to change where these oral pills are binding, or the Pfizer pill in this case, and it works remarkably well. So this will prevent serious illness in people who can't make a good immune response, who are unvaccinated. So it does give us the ability of taking a sigh a little bit. You know, what we worry about are unvaccinated and people who cannot make a good enough immune response and they get hospitalized. And they fill up our hospital systems. We tend to take care of cancer, heart disease, and others. And that's when shutdowns have happened and will continue to happen. So the more we get vaccinated and the more we have these pills to block the serious response, the less likelihood it is that we will shut down. When do we think we know if we're heading into a, you know, COVID shots every year or tailoring the vaccines towards these variants? Because this first round, you know, incredibly successful, pretty broad-based immunity. It's been able to tackle what we've seen so far. Well, what we're seeing is that immunity is going down about 6% per month. So there's no question we're going to have continued boosters at some point. Will they be a different variant? Potentially, we really have to see what happens with the variants. But when you look at a good portion of the world is not yet vaccinated, a good portion of the United States is not yet vaccinated, and there's a lot of virus in those individuals. And then we've got animal hosts. We've seen transmission from animals like minks to humans. 
We have the majority of the deer in the United States are infected with COVID-19. We haven't yet seen transmission. There may be, we haven't seen it between deer and human, but if there is, here's another reservoir for potential mutations or alterations. So we're going to, for the next foreseeable future, have boosters at some regular point to keep immunity up, to keep the hospitals open so we can take care of other diseases. And, and is that really kind of the crux of the matter, is getting the public to psychologically adjust to the notion that this really is a different world we're now living in uh, after the the emergence of the coronavirus. It's a new disease. It's still not fully understood, right? We still don't know what its trajectory is going to be in the decades uh, and maybe more to come. And you look at, for example, we were talking earlier in the show about the Super Bowl and you see people, you know, in this vast stadium without masks because they seem to be celebrating what they think is the end of this. It's not the end by any means. No, I mean, we're going to we're going to go into a new normal, if you will. And that new normal is going to be is that if you are vaccinated and caught up on your boosters, you're not going to get very ill if you're exposed and you're not going to be hospitalized. But problem is everybody else can be. And if the people who aren't vaccinated fill up the hospitals, you have a heart attack, you're in trouble. You have cancer, you're in trouble. You have any other disease that causes you to go to the hospital, they may not be able to treat you because the hospitals will be full. We have to think of each other. We have to think of one community here. And that's really the difficult part. If we have enough of these pills, potentially we can use that as a back way to take care of people who don't have the vaccine. But that's not really efficient in the big scheme of things. We're going to have to learn to live with this virus. And the way we're going to have to do it is through education. You know, we screwed up one big thing in our country is that we didn't have the vaccines administered by your local doctor. We had you go to a major pharmacy. And, you know, you have a relationship with your doctor. You trust her or him, and you'll listen to what they say, and you really have a yeah, but was it, but, but, yeah, but wasn't that because the vaccines were such the, the messenger RNA ones that most doctors didn't have the, the, the technical capability to store these vaccines? Oh, no question. Yeah. You're right. But that was the first three months. And after that, we started to have them so they could just be refrigerated like they are now. So we still, local doctors, cannot give these vaccines. They're still given at the major pharmacies. And I think we want to get over that hump and the, the, the 60 plus percent range that we've vaccinated in the United States and the 40 percent that we boosted. This is how we're going to have to do it. We do it every year with the flu shot and it is very successful. We have to do the same here. Dr. David Agus, USC's Allison Institute for Transformative Medicine. Doctor, thanks. We end today's coronavirus daily with a story about COVID vaccine clinical trials and no this is not a time warp taking you back to the fall of 2020. Volunteers are once again rolling up their sleeves to be injected with an experimental COVID vaccine, this one specially tailored to beat the Omicron variant. As the Omicron wave is flattening out across the country, it might seem a little late to be developing a specific Omicron vaccine, which is why vaccinologists are putting greater stock into the search for a universal COVID vaccine. Yeah, global effort underway to develop a vaccine that not only can handle Alpha, Delta and Omicron, but repel infections and serious illnesses from all the future unknown variants. But the complaint among scientists working on this, there's no operation warp speed like urgency, no concentrated government campaign. They hope the whack-a-mole approach to vaccinating against COVID variants won't sap energy from finding something that's more universal. You can find this Odyssey original and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.